Well, for the first 300 years after Jesus' resurrection, it was very hard to be a Christian. Really, when you look at the last 2,000 years of history, the freedom that we have enjoyed as Christians in this country is really the anomaly and uh, really a blessing. It's always been hard to be a Christian, but those first 300 years were particularly difficult. Depending upon who was in power in the Roman Empire, being a Christian could mean being socially ostracized, being economically disadvantaged, or even being threatened physically with imprisonment or even death. And yet, despite that pressure in those first 300 years, the church not only went on, she began to develop traditions, even as she was worshiping and making disciples. And one tradition that developed during that difficult time around the 2nd or 3rd century was that churches began to meet late on Christmas Eve for a communion service at midnight called the Christ Mass. In fact, that's where the word Christmas comes from. And each year, the Christ Mass would conclude with the congregation singing this Latin phrase, Gloria in excelsis Deo. And if we were going to translate that into English and Portuguese... Uh, It would be glory to God in the highest. So the church, though tried and tested by persecution, still met on Christmas Eve night to celebrate. And what did they celebrate? The glory of God displayed in the birth of Christ. Well, in 1855, a French hymnal first printed a hymn that had been in circulation in France for at least 50 years already, and the English title of that hymn is Angels We Have Heard on High. Now, because the song was in circulation well before it was published, we actually don't know who wrote it. But the chorus of that song is this ancient phrase, Gloria in excelsis Deo. But what you will notice is that the melody of the chorus is not unlike many medieval chants. You know it. Gloria. Because it it has a very tight melody, there's not a lot of jumping around, it is theorized that those words were paired with that tune much earlier than the 1800s. Perhaps it goes back to the medieval ages. Perhaps it goes back even to those first few centuries of the church. So the theory is that we have a very, very old song of the church that was used as a chorus to which verses were attached later on in France. Now, that's theoretical, it's kind of imaginative, but it's interesting to consider that the church from the earliest ages would gather on Christmas Eve to remember the glory displayed in the birth of Christ. So let's sing that hymn together that's been sung perhaps for very, very long Grab your worship guide, let's sing it together. Angels, we have heard on high. Angels, we have heard on high. Shall cease there. 
Shepherds, why this jubilee? Why your joyous chains prolong? Say what may the tidings be which inspire your heavenly song. phrase Gloria in excelsis Deo may come from the second century, but the Greek phrase that precedes it comes from even earlier in Luke chapter 2. Now, I want to walk through this text carefully, perhaps even plottingly, and if it makes us late to Sunday school, that's okay. That's all right. We got a recital at 2.30 this afternoon, so we can just stay all the way through. But I want you to see how this text that is probably impossibly familiar to you. I want you to see how this text very clearly displays the glory of God. Now, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 15, is an exercise in contrasts. There are a lot of sights and sounds that are playing off of one another to make a point. And this text is so familiar, it's easy to miss. So we're going to slow down and take it one verse at a time. So look at verse 8 in chapter 2. And in the same region... There were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. So how does the text begin? From these shepherds, we get a whiff of earthy humanness. These are men who live outside with animals. Men smell bad already, let alone the ones that live with animals. They did not smell good. These were not men of means. These were not men of great pomp and circumstance. And for what it's worth, shepherds graze their flocks between March and November in Palestine. So the December dating of Christmas is more traditional than actual. don't want to ruin Christmas for you, but just it's what we see in the text. 
Regardless, these men are just ordinary blue-collar dudes. They're sinners, they smell bad, and they probably weren't considered polite society. These guys are rednecks. That's the bottom line. Now, look at verse 9. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Why are these men terrified? Because of the insane, shocking contrast that just occurred. Here they are in the darkness of night. Maybe some of them are asleep. And suddenly, glory! And not just any glory. But the glory of the Lord shines into the darkness. The glory of the Lord shines around them. The light of God's heavenly glory is shining into the darkness of this night. Something brighter and hotter than the sun is shining into this grazing field. But that's not the only contrast. Now this angel isn't God. But clearly he's just been with God. That's why he's shining. When you've been with God in his unmediated presence, one of two things happens to you. You're either made holy by the experience or you are annihilated by his glory. Think back to the Old Testament. When Moses went to meet with God in the tent of meeting, what did he look like when he walked out of the tent? He was glowing. With the holiness of God. He was made holy, bright, and shining by that encounter. On the other hand, when Nadab and Abihu went into the presence of the Lord in an unauthorized way, what happened to them? They were burned up by his holiness. So when the verse says that the glory of the Lord shone around them, what's it demonstrating? This angel is beaming with God's glory because he's just left God's presence. So here, here are these just normal, earthy, sinful guys besotted with sheep dung. And boom, not just glory, but the glory of Yahweh, the holiness of Sinai. Temple messengers from on high have arrived. And how does verse 9 end? The English says, they were filled with great fear. A more literal translation would be, and they were caused To fear, a great fear. They weren't just afraid. They feared a great fear. So observe the contrast. With the shepherds, we get a whiff of earthy humanness. But in the angels, we see the terror of God's glory. The shepherds have the right response. We don't know if they fell down as though dead or if they tried to run away. This is worse than coming across a grizzly bear in the woods. This is being confronted with the power that brought existence to be and could bring existence to its end. This is being confronted with the holiness that filled Solomon's temple and made the priests flee. As it turns out, glory and fear are rightful bedfellows. And you can see it all over the Bible. If the reality of who God is doesn't frighten you at some level... You have not understood him, and you have not understood yourself rightly. That is the magnitude of his glory. And is that not the first step in believing the gospel? Must we not see the fearful debt that we owe to God? The great gap between his holiness and our sin? God's glory is fear-inducing to sinful humans like the shepherds and like us. 
But then how does the angel respond to their fear in verse 10? And the angel said to them, fear not. Fear not. Didn't Moses warn the people that if they crossed the boundary onto Sinai, that they would be killed? Fear not. If the priests of God couldn't come into God's presence unbidden, how can they not fear? Fear not. When we are standing in the presence of a holy being, we who are not holy, how are we to not flee in terror, lest our end come quickly? The angel explains. Verse 10 again. The angel said to them, fear not. Why? For behold, I bring you good news, a gospel of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. So the angel tells these men, who are rightfully afraid, he tells them to not be afraid. And why? Verse 10 tells us, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. I bring you a gospel of great joy that will be for all people. So what is this joy-filled, joy-inducing gospel but that the Christ child has been born in Bethlehem? And so now we find a third contrast. In the Christ child, we find an invitation to behold the glory of God, not with fear, but with joy. To behold God in his glory and to respond not with fear but with joy. So twice the angel extends an invitation to these earthy, stinky, sinful rednecks. He says in verse 11, unto you is born this day a Savior. Savior has been born for you today, gentlemen. So you don't need to fear. There's a Savior for you. But then in verse 12, the angel goes a step further and says, now go find him. He's been born in a stable. You'll find him wearing swaddling cloths in Bethlehem. Two invitations made to these guys. Now think about this. These earthy, sheep-herding men are being invited where? Where was he born? He was was born in, in Bethlehem, but in what kind of building was it? The stable, right? And we're not sure. It could have been a cave. It could have been a a, a stable built onto an inn. We really don't know. This we know. The manger smelled like them. When they showed up, they wouldn't stand out. They wouldn't be noticed as gross. Their sheep would even be welcome to them there. This is the means by which God chose to enter into the world and to invite these people with them is to come. He's so accommodated to our need that not only would these men be welcomed there, not only would they not stand out there, but the glory of God in that place is being revealed to them in a way that doesn't drive them away with fear. When they get to the manger, they don't run away. They approach with joy. And this reveals to us the great purpose of the incarnation. When God revealed his glory... In the incarnation of his son, his invitation, his intention was to invite us to joy rather than to fear. So is our glorious God terrifying? Yes, 
most certainly. But when he revealed himself in Jesus, his intention was to stir us to joy rather than to fear. So don't miss this radical irony in our text. The shepherds tremble with fear before an angel. And then they come into the presence of God himself. And they don't tremble a bit. Instead, they smile. Look at verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Now, if you get nothing more than this, That's good enough. I'm not going to end the sermon there, but I could. God's glory, his holiness, is a terrifying fire before which none of us can stand. And he would have been just in annihilating the lot of us. But he didn't. Because of love. Because of love. The Son, the second person of the Trinity, who has always existed with the Father and Son, became a man. And not only did he live in poverty, born in a stable, but he died that you might know him. That you might not fear God because of your sin and because of your failures and because of your incompletion. But instead that the God of this universe would draw near to you that you might know him and be filled with joy. This is a gospel of great joy for you, the incarnation, that God accommodates to us for our joy is unbelievable. It's the greatest news that's ever been spoken. Now, you'll notice we missed a section. I don't want to overlook it because it provides the connection point to the song we just sang. So after the angel encouraged the shepherds to not fear, he was then joined by a heavenly host. Uh, You know what a heavenly host is? What's a host? A host is an army, a multitude. So he just told them, hey, guys, don't be afraid. Then an army shows up. And what does this army say or sing? There's some debate between Charles Wesley and George Whitfield as to whether they were singing or not. But regardless, verse 13 says, got to turn back. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So this army shows up praising God. And what do they say? Glory, glory, glory to God in the highest. God has the greatest glory in all creation, but rather than making us tremble in our boots, they go on and what do they say? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The God who is worthy of all glory became incarnate To give you joy and peace. And so the angel's song leaves us with three questions to consider. First, 
Have you seen the terror of God's glory? Second, have you fled from that terror to the incarnate Son of God? And third, have you found in Him joy and peace? So first, have you seen the terror of God's glory? A proper view of the glory of God should lead us to fear. And if you don't know the glory of God in a way that makes you tremble, you do not know God truly. And you do not know yourself truly. God is a holy judge before whom every one of us will stand one day and give an account for our life. And what will you say when you stand in his presence face to face? When you come before the Holy One, when he asks you to give an account for the life you've lived, what will you offer him? Even the lives of the greatest men and women are a mess. A mixture of nobility and nonsense of sensibility and sinfulness. Even our good deeds are often motivated by selfish ambitions. So none of us on that day can stand on the grounds of our own lives and not expect to be just totally consumed by his glory. So what will you say on that day? There's only one ground to stand on. What must you say when God asks you to give an account for your life? All you can say is my only hope in life and in death is my Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, have you fled from the terror of God's glory and the hugeness of your sin to the joy that can be found in Jesus? And I know that many of you have. A lot of you know the seriousness of your sin. You know the debt of death and hell that you owe to God. You know that you've fallen short and there's nothing you can do to get back into God's good graces. And that you, like the shepherds, have come to the Christ child stinking with your mess, bringing your sheep and your baggage along with you. And you've found forgiveness in Christ. But some of you still haven't. I think especially of some of you kids. Some of you still have not come to Jesus confessing your sins and your need of a Savior. So let today be that day. Kneel before the King of Ages, born in a stable, and find peace and joy for your soul today. Don't put it off another day, whether you're five years old or 50 or 500. I don't care. Today's the day to give your life to Christ and to find in Him joy for your soul. But this third question really is for those of you who do know Jesus, who already have trusted him. The God who's worthy of fear became incarnate to give you joy and peace. And if you don't have joy in this life, if you don't have peace in this life, there's only one place you're going to find it. There's only one meaningful, lasting source from which joy and peace can be found, and that's Jesus, the glorious one. You can have joy and peace in him today. Those of you who uh, deal with me closely, who have to put up with me on a daily basis, you know this has been a challenging year for me. My paternal grandfather died uh, in March, April. My maternal grandmother is, I mean, she is on the brink of going to be with Jesus. It could be today. Looming larger than those two challenges, those two losses, has been Liam's ongoing health issues that have had us run into hospitals and doctor's appointments constantly this year. It's impacted and rearranged all of our family expectations and our daily living. 
the sum of all that and more is that during 2022, I've struggled with depression more significantly and for longer than I ever have before. I had a, a solid two or three months where I felt like I was just barely keeping my head above water. A handful of you guys knew that. I, I could have broadcast it, but I didn't feel like it would have been helpful at that time. And frankly, it was hard to talk about at the time. But here's my point. I didn't feel full of joy. And I certainly didn't sense peace. It felt like there was chaos all around me. Really, I was just sad. I was really, really sad. And I'm here to tell you today, the God who is worthy of fear became incarnate to give us joy and peace. Regardless of the darkness or the chaos that we feel surrounded by. So how can we have that with the reality of the world we live in and the reality of the challenges that each of us faces? Well, the path to joy and peace in Christ looks different for all of us. The shepherds traumatically met an angel in the middle of the night. An angelic army then told them to go to Bethlehem, right? (laughs) And then in meeting Jesus, they found joy and peace. My path has been very different from that. And I don't know what path you guys will walk. I don't know what traumas you'll experience, what challenges you'll face, what people and messengers of God will help you along the way. But the end of the road is the Christ child. It is God's intention, Christian, to give you joy and peace in Christ and in nothing else. And he will take you, Christian, along whatever road necessary until you stop believing in every other thing and say, in him. He is going to be my only hope. He is going to be my only joy. He is going to be my only peace. So, if you trust Jesus, but today, you don't feel that joy. You don't feel that peace. I want to challenge you to do two things before you leave this room. What that means is I'm going to tell you when Sunday school starts today. So you don't have to rush out. I want you to do these two things before you leave this room today. If you find yourself not having that joy and peace. First, I want you to tell somebody else in this room. Tell them that you hear the invitation to joy and to peace. But you're not feeling it. (laughs) You're not experiencing it. Tell somebody else in this room. And then pray together. That Jesus would give you joy and peace. I'll go ahead and tell you some safe people you can talk to. You can talk to me for sure. You can talk to my wife. She's right there. You can talk to any of our elders, right? You can talk to any of our staff. And really, there are many more that you could talk to here. We want this to be a safe place. But if that's where you are, tell one of us. The God who's worthy of fear became incarnate so that you would have joy and peace in him. And we want you to know that joy and peace. We also recognize that road can take time. God works on each of us as we need. And if you're here and somebody comes up to you this morning and says, I'm not feeling that joy. I'm not feeling that peace. If they share that with you, pray with them. Join them in prayer. Pray together that Jesus would give them the joy and peace for which they long. But then continue to pray for them. And follow up with them. This is why God has given us to each other. This isn't an event every Sunday where you can just come feel good about yourself. We are here for each other. 
We are to walk with each other on this road as we struggle and as we fight to believe the gospel and in Christ to find our peace and joy. If I hadn't had people like my wife, like our session, like Rich Cropper, I don't know what I would have done in 2022. These people prayed for me. They loved me. They walked with me. And do you know what I've learned and experienced personally through all of this? I was seeking peace and joy in things that weren't Jesus. And it wasn't that I'd turned to like sin or secret addictions. My theology was still in place. I still believed in Jesus. But my heart was secretly wandering and seeking peace and joy in other things. Good things but they become God things. We all do it. Our hearts are, after all, like wandering sheep, and they kind of stink for it. We must be shepherded again and again back to the manger where we meet Jesus one more time and in him find him. And, and there we find him to be our only joy, our only lasting hope. And the one we find there in the manger is imbued with glory in the highest, but not for our fear. For our joy. So come to him today. If you have never fled to him from the fearful thought of God's glory, come to him today and become a Christian. Confess your sins to him and give yourself over to him. But if you have done that already, seek joy and peace in him. If you don't have this peace and this joy that was promised by these angels, tell somebody here today and pray together that Jesus would give you the joy and peace for which we long. We can trust that he will. Because that's why he came. Let's pray. Oh God, we are incomplete. And yet in Christ, those who trust in him are made righteous through faith. And so here we stand, as Luther said, simultaneously saints and sinners. Being called by your scriptures to find our greatest joy and peace in you. And yet our flesh, the world, and our great enemy are constantly luring us to other things, even good things. And so, Father, I want to pray for everyone here. First, for those who do not know Christ. That you, O oh God, would make them tremble in their boots at the greatness of your glory and the danger that they are in for not fleeing to the cross. Lord Jesus, invite them to yourself today that they may have forgiveness, that they may know the love of God and the hope of eternal life. But Lord, for those of us who are here who do know you, I pray that you would teach us the path of repentance that we would flee from every other pleasure, every other joy, every other source of peace, that we would find in Jesus our all in all glorious Son. You came to give us peace and joy. We ask that you would do it in each of our lives, even today. This we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.